0: We have to figure out how to work together because there's there's more than enough work to go around. There's more than enough responsibility. You just can't do it on your own. you got to partner together with people.
1: Hey, thinkers. I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, and welcome back to another episode of DoorWard Thinking, the show where we highlight the rewards of real estate investing as a service to our community. This episode is brought to you by DoorWard Incorporated, recognizing the more we serve each other, the more we all win. Check out Doorward Online at doorward.com and on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This week, Jake and I are out in the field. I'm in sunny California visiting family. And Jake, how's Indiana treating you?
2: Sunny, but it's supposed to rain next week, so not really looking forward to that. Ooh. Although they do need it. I'm sure California
1: needs it too, huh? We need it too. Absolutely. With us today holding down the Doorward Fort in Doorward Studios is Ronald Richardson. How are you doing today, Ronald? Hey, doing great. Happy to be
0: here. Happy to be a part of the podcast and yeah, enjoy talking to you guys. So should be a good time.
1: Can I call you Ron?
0: You can call me Ron. I've been given lots of nicknames with, so Ron, Ronald, Ronnie, Ron Burgundy, (laughs) Ronald Reagan, Ronald McDonald, you know. Wow. Any, any of that I'll be used to it I have 3 brothers all start with R so lots of different names thrown
2: my way good or bad Are, any of them named Richard
0: uh <laughs> no no we didn't go Richard
2: Richardson okay. yeah I'm happy yeah. for them I I'm, I'm definitely happy yeah. for them
0: Yeah I'm happy for them too because then their nickname no, would have been absolutely. Dick and nobody likes that anymore
1: so When I worked at Disney there was one Richard who had a dick name tag And when he wore that one, you knew that, and he was a ship lead too. So you knew he was in a bad mood to not to cross him. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's right. Everybody's got to
2: have their signals, I guess. (laughs) The red flags. (laughs) People, it is a thin ice, (laughs) hot day. Don't mess with me.
1: (laughs) All right. So I think we'll hop right into it. Ron. Real estate is one of the best ways to generate and grow wealth and stability, especially in uncertain times. And there are a ton of people right now looking to begin investing. But not only that, we all need to find places to live. Now, I've got a question about what you do as a loan originator. The only loans I've ever really needed are student loans for college and grad school. So for me and everyone else out there who doesn't know what a loan Mm -hmm. originator is, what is the role and what do you do for people? Yeah, loan
0: originator. I like that you're using the legal term. We like to do loan officer or mortgage banker or something like that. Sounds a little more, just more palatable, easier to understand. But yeah, loan originator. So, uh, the joke is we just take applications for people, and then someone else does the rest, which is <laughs> hopefully not true. Although maybe if if uh, you've got someone who's not very good, that might be the case. But we're going to ask you a lot of questions. Uh, get to know you as as the buyer or the borrower uh, understand why you're buying the house you know how you've gotten to where you are now what your expectations are you know whether those expectations are going to line up with what's what's on the market right now and what you're actually going to be able to do um, what kind of misconceptions might we hear and kind of softly answer those questions as we go through so it is it's i mean the reality is it is kind of taking an application up front who are you you know, tell me about your living history, your work history, you know, let's throw in some hobbies and make the conversation fun, not just kind of gray and boring. And then from there, I will take some time. I usually tell people, give me 24, 48 hours, uh, sometimes 30 minutes, if it's going to be an easy case of like, this is going to be your only or your, your best loan option. There's not much else to look at. I'll take some time because I've probably got some other meetings um, from the time we take the app to that. And, and you probably have other things to do as well but I'll review things. Okay. What are the different loans you can qualify for? What's going to be your best fit for what you're looking for Uh, in terms of monthly payment, total out of pocket, kind of house you want, where it's going to be. And then I take 30 to 45 minutes and go through, okay, here's what your options are. Here's what your monthly payment is going to be at these different purchase price levels. Here's what you can kind of expect for your out of pocket. Um, If there's any kind of unique scenarios or programs people are interested in, I'll take the time to to answer those questions as well. So that if, and when you walk away with that pre-approval letter, which is hopefully after that meeting to go buy a house, you already have the right expectations on what you're going to do. So if you come in and you see a house and it's, you know, 20,000 over what we talked about or 20,000 under the higher price point we talked about, you've got a pretty good idea of what your monthly payment's going to be beyond just the the payment on the loan itself. So, So yeah, that's what I like to do. Be a, be an advisor, make recommendations. Make the process as smooth and fun as possible for what's typically a pretty boring topic for people, (laughs) or intimidating topic.
2: Yeah, as opposed to the just taking an application. I remember when we first met, Ron. You were explaining how you know it's like really an investment that you're making in a a buyer, in a borrower. It's not just like taking the information. There's education that has to happen. Like I don't don't want to call it like handholding, but for people that have never done this before you're really like walking them down the path that they've never perhaps done before. And you don't even know if it's necessarily going to happen for sure. And that's why like you kind of saw it as like an investment and it might be frustrating at times, I'm sure um, the length of time that it might take, but it's certainly not just taking applications.
0: No, not at all. I mean, I have probably three times as many people that, we've at least had an early conversation about what they want to do and kind of how things would look based upon their budget and timeline. And their their timeline's been extended. Someone that I thought might take three months is now a year out. And so, yeah, but it's just keeping in touch with, you know, saying, hey, what's going on? Any updates in life? Anything, any good changes? Get a raise lately? I had a client that uh, a couple weeks ago sent me a text and said, hey, good news, I got a raise. Let's look at this thing again so hopefully I can find something with a price range that's actually available for me. Um, she had a bit of a lower budget and that was a challenge, but yeah, I mean, it really is. It's, it's an investment in people and and taking care of them. And I mean, I kind of mentioned the early part that a lot of people see and know, but once you go under contract, there's a lot of work on my end and coordinate with the title company, the buyer agent, the listing agent, the borrower themselves. And okay, what else do we need along the way? What updated documents do we need? make sure we're getting our earnest money done, our inspection done, the appraisal ordered, any hiccups that happen throughout all that, addressing those right away. Because typically you've got 30 days or less from the time someone goes under contract to the time they close. And so any problems that arise, you just need to to tackle those right away. And then, yeah, I mean, to your guys' point, right? It is is an investment. I bought my first house seven years ago for I think $80,000 was our loan amount. It appraised around 100,000. And today, you know, most kind of automated appraisal systems that would assume I've done nothing to the house, would appraise it at 170. Wow. So it's served myself and my family really well. And it's also, yeah, I mean, that's it's nice growth and an investment.
2: So they're investing in a home and you're investing in them by way of your process. And that, I mean, the fact that you just said you have three times as many people in the early part of the sort of the pipeline as actually might even get to a close, you know, that's some numbers there. Uh, and so that echoes into the point of like, you're building your own business here. Like mm-hmm. you're with USA Mortgage, but you're at the end of the day, you're like a real estate entrepreneur, like a lot of other people in, in the space. Can you tell us about that journey?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll even back up a little bit pre-USA Mortgage. I got my degree in accounting at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, was kind of nudged in that direction and took a class in high school. I enjoyed it. So it worked out well. Adam, um, so they push a lot that you go to like a, a big public firm and slave away there for indefinitely until you get a job in corporate. <laughs> I was very, uh, I guess, fortunate that I got a job in corporate right away, uh, which had a lot of benefits uh, that my family really needed and utilized for 10 years. And But yeah, I mean, being being behind a desk all day and not working with people as much, being in the corporate uh, realm where their values just didn't line up with mine, it's like, all right as soon as the opportunity presents itself it's ready to move on and so i you know kind of thought about it prayed about it presented that to some trusted friends and and family and i was like well i want to keep the finance regulation because everything i've learned and been taught and utilized over the years it's like why why waste that so what do i do to kind of marry that to to helping everyday people so yeah lending and it really is i mean you're right it's it's all about building relationships building a book of business Yes, I'm employed by USA Mortgage, but USA takes care of the everyday operations and some of the marketing and you know other simple stuff that I don't have to worry about or oversee every day. I just have to check in and say, hey, how's it going? What do you need from me? What else? What do you need from someone else? What can I do to make sure we're getting what we need to, to do, what we need to do and take care of people?
1: Well, I'm curious about that because we've heard some people talking about the corporate life and lots of different avenues. Uh, and about how values didn't quite line up and without throwing anybody under the bus specifically. I'm curious about, you know, what it is that you saw that made you think, hey, this isn't lining up with my values. I think that I could do better for people out on my own or with a different approach. Yeah, there were, I mean, there
0: were quite a few things, some stuff that you can kind of live with and work through and it's like, all right, let's, let's manage the relationships. But for me, ultimately it was in my accounting skills. It was, we were in a plant that had been around for 105 years. It had been corporately bought out um, Mm -hmm. probably 14 years ago today, roughly. And so there, there were a lot of changes they need to make that really were good. So there were some good corporate policies coming in to help. Increase workflow, make everybody's work life better, et cetera. But in my time I spent there, it was there were a lot of I think financial matters that were overlooked, ignored. So, right, I, I do my job as mm-hmm. the accountant. I say, hey, here's what your financial statements mean. I've walked out on your floor. I've seen what's going into each one of these numbers. I see where you know you're worried about spending too much here. You're worried about these inventory issues, or you're worried about our our clients not getting their products on time. Well, well, here's what's going on. And I don't know if it fell on deaf ears or if it was just, okay, that's great. I'm still going to do what I want to do. And after dealing with that for quite a while, having a lot of turnover and various internal conflict and bureaucracy, it was just like, all right, I this isn't what I want. Like if we're, if we're not here to make our lives better every day and mean that and follow through on it, all we're doing is just committing to one thing, doing another and, and kind of creating further division amongst the workforce.
1: It almost sounds like, there were things that needed to happen to like feed the system and keep that alive versus putting those, that those time and, and money and energy resources into the relationships and the work itself.
0: Yeah. And just flat out ignoring some people. I mean, we had engineers that they knew what machines we needed and what kind of updates we needed to do. And we had, uh, someone else who knew better who came in and told us what we were going to do. And instead the, The maintenance and upkeep on a brand new machine was just could be just as frequent as the old one, and yeah, it's just kind of a simple example there. But
2: that's interesting because you see the a lot in the real estate investing world versus these kind of huge operations that too big like for their own britches in the sense of paying a little too much attention to the wrong numbers uh, and not being able to keep up with like. That preventative maintenance and the, the small things and and just kind of getting lost a little bit and i don't want to say the weeds because not the weeds it's like it's like the wrong numbers like you're saying ron they have like these preconceived notions about uh where the savings are and where to make the investments and they end up just kind of shooting themselves in the feet yeah yeah that was happening often <laughs>
0: I could say a lot more, but I, I don't like the kind of everybody else's sins, but uh, but yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Right. So you decided to go out and start, start your own business, basically. Yeah. Gives you a lot more face time, actual like helping real people. Mm-hmm. And how has that been for you? It's been great. I mean, it's, I think it's hit or miss still, right? You have,
0: there's a number of people, the conversation's done, and I think, I don't know if Maybe I maybe I just didn't understand the question or they're just not listening at all. Uh, and that's okay. I mean, I've had a long string of email about someone who has high balances on their credit cards and walking them through, all right, by the time you pay these off, here's the interest you're going to pay on those versus if you just do a cash out refinance on your mortgage. Yeah, rates are higher now and it'll get you out of your 3% rate on your current mortgage, but you'll easily save thirty, forty thousand $40,000 in interest on this over the next 15 years compared to if you keep doing it. And uh, he didn't like that, so okay. he was good at math and <laughs> too many facts that were irrelevant. So I don't, I don't know what to say to that, you know, I just say, all right, well, no problem if you disagree, uh, just let me know if anything changes, I'm still here for you. So that happens, but I mean, I think the on the good end, you know, a lot of people, when you walk them through and explain this stuff, they're actually really grateful I had you know thirty forty five minute. Okay, here's here's what your payment and your out of pocket's going to look like at these different price levels. Here's what's really probably the best loan option for you and my recommendation. And she had a pre approval with U.S. Bank, which you know they have great people there, um, just like any organization. They may have some not as great or helpful loan originators, but she just had a letter that said, "Well, your your monthly P and I is going to be this month, and so I eleven hundred dollars a month, I think is what it was." And so I said, well, no, you're actually, your monthly mortgage payment is going to be about $1,500. they are only looking at the amount for the loan. You actually are escrowing for your real estate taxes and your homeowner's insurance every month as well. And they're not including that in there. And she's like, well, that seems kind of weird. Why wouldn't they do that? And sure enough, pulls up the letter. She said, monthly p i what's that? Yeah, principal and interest on your loan. And at that point, it opened up a lot more questions. She became a lot more inquisitive. and was like, no, I really want to know all this. Mm-hmm. And so it's finding people like that who want to learn, they want to understand what they're getting into. So that way, when you're at the closing table or when you go under contract, you're not surprised by anything. It might be, oh, well, taxes were a little bit more than I wanted, but, you know, I understand that that could have happened. Or inspections show that there's a little bit of maintenance that needs to happen here on some cabinets or something, but those are all doable things. And, you know, we can deal with those, it's not going to hold things up. And, you know, I think when you prepare people for things, there's less of an emotional, kind of knee-jerked reaction of, oh, I didn't even think that could have happened. You know, Mm -hmm. I tell people like, hey, we want to go into this thing with no surprises. It's kind of the motto, which you can't prevent everything. You can't prepare for everything. Um, But you can prepare for enough that by the time you're going through the motions, it's it's not going to kill the deal. It's still going to be something that's
1: beneficial or profitable to everybody. And that you're not totally blindsided by some figure that's coming out. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So what's it like for you forging these relationships? I was looking at the USA Mortgage website as part of the prep for this, and uh, they're talking about relationships for life. Yep. And so what are these relationships like for you when you go through this process of, yeah, starting out by taking the application, maybe asking a couple more personal questions, but like going through months, uh, sometimes even like you said, a year, how do these relationships end up? When it's all said and done. Usually good. I like it a lot. I think, you know, I have clients that come to events that I do with
0: another agent and they're always really happy to see each other. We can talk about their home, how it's serving their family, what their plans are in terms of improvements in the home and different options, but also just hearing about their personal life, sharing about my personal life as well. I mean, you really are making, you know, if you take good care of people, you're making lifetime connections, staying in touch with them. Having some systems in place so that I know at least four times a year, I want to, you know, at least once text, once email, once make a phone call, you know, one time send them a personal card. Mm-hmm. And if you can get more in there, great. Um, there'll be people where you can definitely do a lot more and there'll be others who maybe don't want as much. But meeting people where they're at and continuing to add value. I mean, one of the tools we have that I enjoy called uh, Once once somebody closes, usually within about a week of that loan or that house closing and they're in their home. They'll start getting a monthly digest uh, from HomeBot. Goes through, here's what your estimated home value is, which when it first closes, is going to be based on the appraisal. Here's where your mortgage stands. Here's what your equity in your house is. Here's what other homes in your area can look like if you want to look at that. know, it'll give you options like, okay, if you have a lot of equity, what do you want to do with it? You could do cash out, maybe a HELOC. Uh, maybe you could even Airbnb your house. Here's what you could get on that based on other homes in the area. Same with rental so it really helps people think about like, okay, beyond what my house is to myself or my family or whomever I'm living with in the home, here's some other things to think about regarding the home in the future. And it keeps track as well. Of like, okay, here's where your mortgage stands each month. Here's what it's being reduced by. Here's your kind of estimated growth in the house. It's a really simple, helpful tool. I like to partner with the agents on it. Then then the buyer sees the agent first, me later on throughout it. it gives way better information than like a Zillow or a Realtor.com. Uh-huh. Uh, because of some of the tools that we're using and the fact that we're really paying for it. So it adds a lot of value to people after the fact. And it's stuff like that that we want to continue to do for people and add value and stay in touch with them over time. I mean, there are several clients that I'm closing with now. It's like, look, guys, rates rates aren't where we expect them to be. They're not, I mean, really to go from, you know, two and a half, three 3% at the end of uh, 2021 to 2022, midway through the year being in the sixes, the sevens, it's it's just a sticker shock for people. But helping communicate, like, look, it's it's not always going to be this. People refinance at two and three percent because guess what, rates change every day. Mm-hmm. We may not ever see two or three percent again, but if we get into four, we get into five percent, or you know, whatever it is that's lower than what you're at, that it makes sense to do a refinance and save you some money on your monthly payment. I've got tools that are watching that to remind me and and make sure I reach out to you to do so. So yeah, always always looking for opportunity even after we're done with that initial sale.
2: That's amazing. When you're talking before about doing some of the education that you do and like thinking about the fact that, you know, at least when I was in high school, they didn't teach you any of this stuff that you need no. for real life. No. <laughs> and and uh, even like with this tool, like Relationship for Life, you're continuing to do that in a really cool way, which is like, hey, you have this asset, maybe the biggest asset that you own. And we're going to continue to help you to understand this asset that you have and that you're building that and how it can serve you or like the larger community with this tool What is the name of it home uh homebot homebot yes sir a bot homebot where you're home yeah yeah we're all about the, the good use of technology over here so i
0: love that it's a good one i mean it's simple it's practical you can kind of choose to see more or less with it which is nice yeah and it's not sending you something every week or every three days when you're not clicking on it enough still just the monthly newsletters there if you want it. If you don't, get the yep. next one. Yep.
1: Well, that's so valuable because personally, I've never needed to take a, a loan for a mortgage or anything like that. But on so many things, it just seems like a one and done. And uh, you have this thing that you don't know what to do with it. And I wish it, it would be like, hey, no, it's like we we have the tools. We have the communication that's going to help you keep this asset at its most valuable to you. Yeah. Which is, I think remarkable.
0: Yeah. We had somebody, there's a gentleman who showed me, he's been in mortgage industry for 15 years or more. And he showed me his, uh, his, everything he closed for, I think, 20, 2021, 80 to 90% of the people in there, somewhere between 80 and 90% were all past clients. Wow. Which is, yeah, you go. that. I mean, it's just a, a testimony to the relationship. Exactly. Yeah, whether he was the one reaching out to him or they were calling them, it's I'm sure it's a mixture of both. But
2: so, with you having started a few years ago to build, you know the the book of business as a mm-hmm. real estate entrepreneur here, where do most of the the clients come from? You're not the repeat uh, business yet.
0: No, not quite there. I would say probably half of them. I'm pretty grateful we have a a branch manager who he pays for a lead system for a number of people, and it's probably the highest quality one that is around because it pairs us with a real estate agent as well um, for the client. And it's, it's been pretty good. I mean, it's success rates about the same as other, any other one, but some of the clients that we've I've that gotten from there have been, I mean, it's just been fun getting to know them and uh, certainly someone that'll be, you know, that lifetime client, as long as they're, they're willing to answer the phone and stay in touch, which I, I know they will. So So yeah, there's that. And then I'd say it's still about 50% of it is either coming from friends, family, other real estate agents that I either already knew or that I've met from different networking events or just being out in the community.
2: That networking component, both with family, friends, uh, as well as colleagues here in the real estate space. If we could touch on both of those real quick, I think that, that would be interesting. I think a lot of people don't realize like even in the real estate investing world, that that real estate touches everybody, right? Because everybody mm-hmm. like lives in a home, or maybe they have like a cousin that just got married, or like you know, the, and they now they need a new house. Real estate touches everybody, and therefore, like yeah, it's it's really really important to let people know among their friends and families, like you know what you do, how you do it, why you do it, and then all of a sudden, like you're getting leads and recommendations and deals and those, that's a good thing and then of course uh, the networking how do, you, how do you go about that
0: yeah I don't know if I've got a great recipe for it as much as I just find networking groups that I think like okay are there are there going to be business owners that could potentially serve any of the clients I have or any of the other referral partners I have so if I meet someone that you know Jake or Nate said, oh, man, I'm really looking for someone who can, who can do HVAC. Being in networking groups where I can have a, a trusted HVAC contact is well worth it. You know, the other thing is just finding different real estate groups uh, that want to collaborate. I think in real estate groups, the word collaborate or like round table or something along those, those terms would probably be more common. Mm-hmm. And being a part of those and asking questions like, okay, what are our, what's going well? What's our challenges? What are we all learning? hearing, seeing, and how can we all share that together so that we can kind of overcome the challenges we have, provide the best opportunity for people, and do that both collectively and, and individually. But yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the the long-term game plan or short-term if you can make it happen quick. Some relationships will happen sooner than others. But otherwise, it's just, it's just finding places where the people you want to meet are going to be, showing up to those events or showing up to those weekly meetings, introducing yourself. Most of the time, I don't even ask for an introduction. I just say, hey, how can I help you? Or who would you like to connect with? And if you do that more often than not, people in the room are going to see that and they're going to do the same for you. And yeah, it's just it, doing that over and over and over again, doing what I did uh, between you and I, Jake, which was, hey, let's turn and face each other at this event. Hi, my name's Ron. Hi, my name's Jake. Let's go grab coffee a week or two from now outside of here, get to know each other a little more and see how we can serve each other better and then just rinse, wash, repeat over and over again and have some fun while you're doing it.
2: I like that. I like that a lot. How can I potentially serve you? There's like a pay it forward attitude there, which creates a that culture of collaboration that you were speaking about. Hey, you're working, I'm working. That's what the collaboration part of collaboration means, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then like, how can we potentially work to better work together to to serve both our needs better and we'll actually get there faster than operating alone. Yeah.
0: I mean, I I don't ask people directly for referrals usually. I know that goes against a lot of common teaching, but I just won't. It's just, hey, how can I add value? I mean, I think think too often one of the mistakes people make is they come in thinking about what they're going to get out of a particular networking group or a particular meeting from that group of people in the room. And you miss out on a few things. One is, it's people pick up on that. It feels like a sense of entitlement, um, which no one likes. Hmm. Um, again, not that it's wrong to ask for referrals, but if that's the first thing you're going to do, it just it it turns people off. And there's a lot of times I'll I'll call agents or I'll call someone else just to check in with them once a week or once a month, and I can kind of hear it in their voice. They'll say, "Well, if I if I have anybody that I know I can send your way, I'll send them your way." It's like, well, actually, was just calling to check in on you. See if there's any way I can help out, seeing what kind of challenges you're facing and talk about that. But I think we've maybe got some things kind of ingrained in our culture that that are less about how do we work work together and more about how do you work for me, which, yeah, I mean, people pick up on that. Uh, and I think you, you lose out on a lot when you're focused on yourself more than others.
2: I totally agree with that. And I think also there's like, the flip side of that, like the other side of that same coin that you're talking about is a fear of like kind of asking for help or like we think that we can't ask for help. Mm-hmm. And so like the fact that like, no, I just wanted to like see if there's anything I can do for you. And like the the gut response I think most people have to that is no, no, I'm supposed to like be able to, to, to like juggle all the balls and spin <laughs> yeah. all the plates and like, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't like. What am I supposed to like? Oh, actually, you can spin this plate for me. Like, yeah, <laughs> we have in our culture. We have like this thing where we we're like afraid to let go. It's true. I mean, we
0: a lot of real estate agent. So our main people to partner with is real estate agents, right? It's like the, when you're going to buy a house, it's us and the real estate agent who are the most involved in in that in that deal and right right and the follow up and. A lot of times I'll tell agents, hey, we have our own marketing team. We do things at cost. I've compared enough to know we really do do things. Our materials and stuff is at cost. You know, the only thing is you got to split it with me. Both our names are on there. So as long as you're comfortable with that, otherwise we can use whatever, you know, marketing you're used to. But the real catch is if we use our internal marketing, you tell me what you want. I'll give you some examples. You'll get proofs. I take care of all of it. When it's printed off and ready, I'll deliver it. Um. So it's one less thing you have to worry about. I said that to an agent just yesterday uh, at a morning coffee, and her response was, "Yeah, which is the key thing. I don't need one more thing to do in
2: yeah. my life."
0: So to your point, Jake, it's it's. I mean, it's absolutely true. It's we have to figure out how to work together because there's there's more than enough work to go around. There's more than enough responsibility. You just can't do it on your own. You got to partner together with people. Yeah,
2: we love to talk about. Nate's probably sick of me bringing it back up, but the. That sick feeling like we have to do everything ourselves and like it doesn't have to be that way.
1: No, but I'm just continually learning how important that thought of we don't have to do it all on our own really is. When you think you've let go of something and then, you know, it's like, okay, this is my new normal. And then you learn that you Mm -hmm. can actually let go of something else and something else and something else. And all of a sudden you're like anxiety levels way down here. And are just like, this is great. I'm living my best life. That's what I've found. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do get sick of that. Jake, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an important reminder that there's always something else that we can gain by collaboration. Yeah. Or that we can offload from collaboration. And that that collaboration helps everyone. Boom. Let's talk about the work itself since we are a real estate investing podcast it would kind of behoove us to talk a little bit about the market what's going on and what does somebody in the St. Louis area who's looking for a loan need to know right now yeah my
0: suggestion would be two things let's at least have an initial conversation about about what you're thinking and you know what you want your monthly payment to be or or at least what you expect your monthly payment to be i think we all want our monthly payment to be zero but there's that, and then there's reality. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I mean, just understanding that, understanding what your out of pocket's going to be, it's more than down payment. There's closing costs because the title company has to make sure that it's properly titled and deeded into your name and that there's, there's no other liens or anything else funny against that property, which absolutely does come up. Uh, and they'll, they'll do what they're supposed to do to, to make sure that gets gets taken off your plate when the home is uh, deeded to you. Um, you're paying for an appraiser to come out and make sure that the value of the house is going to be what you're expecting it to be. You're paying for your credit reports by the time you close because we do got to pull credit for you. You're paying for processing and underwriting because they, they do a lot of work for that mortgage to happen and for it to eventually be handed off to your servicer, your servicers who's going to send you your bill for your monthly payment uh, and sell that to the secondary market. We don't, we don't want to get too much into that, but... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of going too far down the the pipeline here. But the main thing is, I think just have an initial conversation about what's realistic and actually what's on the market. I think a common challenge for a lot of buyers is, well, I want my monthly payment under $1,000 a month. Well, there's not a lot of homes under $125,000 that are available. Uh, And if they are, I hope just understand they're either going to be in an area you may not want to live in Mm or they're going to need a lot of work and you, you have to be willing to live with one of those two scenarios. It's either or you hope that a one bedroom house comes onto the market. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so,
0: so, yeah, you were going to say something, Nate,
1: or the, if not both things, like, you know, a lot of work. And yeah. Cause just how things are. could be both
0: in an area you don't want. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's what it is. So there's, there's things to weigh out. I, I mean, in that part, I'm looking at a sample of homes and things buyers have said, but I mean, I'll be honest with people. Look, it's going to be hard to find that, and you should definitely talk to your agent about why that is. Your real estate agent. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the other things for people to keep in mind is inventory of homes is it's just low. So I think a lot of people have thought, oh, the news is mainstream media is probably right. Oh seven, oh eight, oh nine is happening again. We're going to lose home values, and I think lower-priced homes compared to last year, the year before, are certainly being sold more. Um, but that's that's not a reduction in home value. I mean, there's just there's no short-term solution to our current inventory issues. So, you know, if, if a buyer who is really ready to go and could get something done in 30 days, uh, it might take them 60 days or 90 days now, just because because of what's available. A lot of homes still have multiple offers. Uh, and so you want to have a competitive offer, whether that's going over their asking price or covering seller costs or a mixture of things that, again, the real estate can kind of help strategize with that, myself and the buyer as well. But yeah, those things, those are a challenge. And the reality of, of home depreciation, like we once had, isn't going to happen. There's there's no more ninja loans. There haven't been ninja loans for a long time. If you don't know the term ninja loans, it's no income, no job, no assets, <laughs> uh that was that's that was a big problem in oh seven, oh eight, oh nine. That and and builders had built so much there was twelve months of inventory uh, nationwide. I mean we're and it stayed at that level for, for a few years. I mean we're we're at one month of inventory, maybe one point yeah. five. That's the hard thing. And I, I think one of the things I, I really try to get across to people and help them understand is if you buy now while the rate is say somewhere in the sixes or low 7%, uh, good for you because you'll have less competition than when rates come down to the fives because we can see rates coming down to the fives. We can't see more homes coming to the market to meet the demand that's there. That would be the challenge for people. Is-
2: Part of that is because a lot of people who might want to sell their home or have a great mortgage at 2 3%, and they they can't really see themselves Yeah, the golden handcuffs. Like getting rid of that to go Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: That I think that's a part of it. You have the golden handcuffs, but several of agents I should say I've talked to, what they've communicated is I have a nice pipeline of people ready to sell. Like if they could sell now they would, but we have to find them a house they can move into once they sell it. And so they're not listing right. until they've they've got a good idea they can they can get into a house after they've sold it. And so it's, you know, the the golden handcuffs of the 2 to 3% interest rate, you know, they're, that'll stay that way until someone gets tired of driving 30 minutes to their kid's new school. Yeah. Um, which happens sooner than most people think, uh, at which point are, I mean, from my perspective, again, I don't know how popular this opinion is. But I think it's more that people just want to have their next house lined up. So, I mean, I have a buyer who's like that right now. She wants to sell, her husband want to sell her house. And their concern is just that having the having the sale and the buy set up at the same time, um, sure, so that they're not stuck looking for some
2: temporary rental at the last minute. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And Ron, don't worry, we're not looking for popular opinions. No, we're not. <laughs> no, no. I,
0: I, when I say that, it's more so because I, in my mind, I don't have enough consistent information or consistent data that I can I can say confidently this is the problem, but. So that's I'm, your gut? I'm pretty confident that's the problem. Yeah, more my gut.
2: Nice. I like it. I like it.
0: So, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, it's it's only a matter of time, right? I think that argument is an interesting one to me because in my mind, it's like, well, hasn't that always been the case? Hasn't it always been the case that if you're going to sell your house, you have to hope you can find something to move into in a timely enough fashion? Sure.
1: Yeah, but a few months more of inventory is a little nicer of a buffer. That's... Well, yeah, exactly.
0: If, if all these people that aren't wanting to list because they're afraid of buying suddenly listed, how much would that alleviate our problem? I mean, you'd still probably right, turn, right. Ter- turn your homes every 30 days, but you know, at least you wouldn't have a fear of, of doing what you need to do for yourself or your family simply because you don't see something that's not there.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm on GoDaddy right now, and I just bought I'll List My Home If You List Yours.com. <laughs> Let's we'll see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> nah, you have to let me, just, me know. Do that. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't know GoDaddy offered that, but uh, don't don't really know GoDaddy's business
2: model anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, they they sell uh, the URL. So just buying a URL. Is that all it is? Yeah. Oh, buy the URL. Oh, they have websites too. All kinds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can
0: connect it to the uh, to the Doorward website and see if that helps people. <laughs>
1: And we want to connect people with you, Ron. Uh, So if anybody's looking for information or they say, you know what, I'm in a pretty good spot and it's time to do this, how can they get a hold of you to start that initial conversation? Yep. So the easy thing is to
0: text or call me. My phone number is 314-473-2524. That's not a business phone. That's my personal phone. So I tend to answer it pretty quickly. Um, but if they prefer email, which some people do uh, for various reasons, uh, just r Richardson at usa-mortgage dot com. Uh, those are kind of the two main ways to to get things going. And yeah, once the conversation gets going, we can ask some more questions and and figure out what we really want to do and get a strategy together to get the ball rolling.
2: Fantastic,
1: thank you. Now, last thing I've got, yeah, are three things. Uh, I've only got two today, so listeners, you know the drill. At this point, you can go ahead, listen to the couple of questions, think about it on yourself, then we'll give Ron an opportunity to answer as a little bit of inspiration for your own answer in your search for personal wisdom. So our two things for this day are, Ron, what advice would you give to people feeling stuck in a corporate job and looking to make a change? Uh, That's number one or number two. Okay. How do you mix in the personal touch with the professional information you need to do your job? And listeners, you can go ahead and pause, take a think, a little think break, and when you're ready, we'll be back with Ron's answer. If you're thinking about leaving your corporate
0: job, I would say make a list of the the things that make you apprehensive to do so. Uh, Most of them are going to be revolving around benefits and pay. I mean, let's just be honest. Uh, That's what it was for me. And I would say, get yourself a plan so that, you know, you know, okay, if I come into a difficult market like uh, Ron has when he started mortgages, will I last on what we've set aside for one year or two years? If you can do that or whatever you think your timeline is, whatever you're comfortable with, um, and you can figure out, you know, the benefits question, whether it's really worth it or not. I think answer those two things honestly because those hold people up a lot. And then the next thing is just answer, what do you really want to do? What are the talents and the skills that, I mean, I, I don't know what everybody's faith is, but what are the talents or the skills that God's put in you? And how can you use those to, to make everyone's lives better? Because you'll find a lot more joy in doing that than you will in just sitting behind a desk. So I think once you get those things together, just sharing with people that you trust, saying, okay, how do I do this? Is this reasonable? Weigh the doubt. Don't, don't take it as gold. And then, yeah, at some point, just move forward on it. Have some fun. Find some trusted people to work with. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important. Find trusted people to work with uh, so that when you do it, you're not in the same position you are now. Uh, and then the second question, how do you how do you mix uh, personal with professional? Uh, I like humor. You know, I, I don't mind joking about the fact that a lot of what I do is either intimidating or boring for people. Uh, it feels like I speak an entirely another language once I start uh, mentioning some of the mortgage jargon that is, there's an abundance of, and I, (laughs) I try to cut through, uh, and use more simple everyday terms, but sometimes the jargon really is the best and yeah, just make it, make it fun. I mean, that whole thing of like, let's, let's ask some personal questions, get to know each other. Um, you know, the phrase in our office is know your borrower. Um, and we do, we really want to know you. That's not just a, a marketing tactic or some some kind of cheesy customer service thing. We wanna know you, we wanna make sure you're taken care of and that when you walk away, you're like, man, I got exactly what I wanted and more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's just asking questions, have some fun, create some laughter along the way and, and then uh, make sure you take care of what
1: you need to take care of in the meantime and get the job done. Sounds like a good recipe for how your colleague can have 85%, I think it was, return business. Yeah, yeah I would say so, that's, that's the goal. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us today, Ron. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll go ahead and grab some more coffee when we're back in St. Louis. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thanks, guys. It's a good time. Thanks for joining us today, listeners. As a reminder, you can go ahead and check out Doorward on doorword.com or on our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram. I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc reminding you to stick with your unpopular opinions and to get back to living.